Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Steve Oppel is the senior leader of the All Nations Movement, which is a growing family of churches and ministries. He is married to Esther, and together they pastor the All Nations Church in Wolverhampton. Steve has a passion for building the local church as God's means of working in the world and as Jesus' bride. Intimacy with God and total dependence upon the Holy Spirit are key elements of Steve's messages for the advancement of the Kingdom and his books and broadcasts on Christian radio and TV have helped many to rise up into their God-given calling and inheritance. He is the author of four books including Rouse the Warriors. Steve and Esther have four children, Bethany, Sophia, Joel and Judah. Please join me in welcoming Steve Oppel to the Pursuit of God Conference 2021. Well, special greetings from myself, Steve Upple, and the All Nations family uh, to yourselves at Jesus House and Pastor Agu. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share from God's Word as part of your conference in these 21 days. I've always admired how you set aside time as a church family to pursue God in the place of prayer and in the place of fasting. And if there was ever a moment we need to be praying, we need to be fasting, we need to be seeking the Lord, these moments are such. I believe we're in the greatest transition in many, many decades. Some would say in 500 years or more that we are going through a major reformation in our world and also in the church. I know in 2019, the Lord spoke to me really clearly mid-November 2019 and said, you are about to go through significant season of unlearning. And 2020 really has been a year where my paradigms have shifted, what I believed, how I saw things. Paradigm just simply means a fundamental change in our approach or underlying assumptions. And I realized I had a lot of assumptions and I had, I had a way of approaching things and the Lord was taking me through a new way of seeing, a fresh way of seeing and giving me his eyes to be able to see church, ministry, my life, our temporal existence upon the earth and helping me to see it from a new perspective. And the last 15 months has really been a season of unlearning. And just two or three weeks ago, the Lord spoke again as though it was the second half of that sentence and said, and now you are about to go through a season of personal change and you will never be the same person again. I was partly excited and partly hmm, sobered by that. Well, Lord, that sounds painful as you've been challenging my assumptions about ministry, my assumptions about you, now I'm being changed as a person as well. And I realize this isn't just for me. I believe that God is doing this with anybody who has a heart towards him and is willing to embrace and listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
The Holy Spirit is speaking. Perhaps, at least in my experience, more than ever, in the last 15 months, he has spoken with greater clarity, greater frequency and consistency through the word, in the place of prayer, through dreams and visions and encounters. And I believe that he's doing that because of the transitions and the change that are coming. He wants to make sure that we are ready for what's about to happen and assured that the Lord has spoken and that the Lord is leading. Here's one of the things I've learned. Most people celebrate prophetic promise. They're excited at a new day of destiny. They're excited at a new season, but they don't like prophetic process. We like prophetic promise because it excites us, but then when we have to walk out the prophecy, we don't like it as much because it involves change. There's often a shaking and a stripping and a change of our character and an embracing of the new. And what preached well in a sermon doesn't always live well in terms of it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, and we have to embrace the process, not just the promise. The scripture that you've been looking at this year, I know you've had two of them from Song of Songs chapter 2 and verse 13, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. We've also been living in those two scriptures for about a year now. And the Lord's speaking to us since April last year and saying to us so clearly, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I am making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. It's the Lord inviting us. We're at a crossroads like Jeremiah 6.16 says. We're at a crossroads and the Lord is extending his hand and saying, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a road in the desert and rivers to flow in the swamp areas. That's the promise. The prophetic process is the Lord extending his hand and saying, come, let's walk into the new way. And there's a part of me, and I dare say a part of you, that says, Lord, I like the promise, but as your hand is extended, can't we just go back to what we knew? Can't we have it the way that it was? I just want to go back to the familiar. And the Lord would say to us, fight the comfort of the familiar and embrace the new day of destiny that is before you. I believe there's an open door and the Lord wants us to walk through that open door. I'm also aware as the Lord begins to move, we have a very crafty enemy. And in the midst of you know, the word to me that you're going to unlearn a lot and then you're going to change, it can also cause internally instability. I'm questioning, I think, and I've done this 30 years this way, and now it's being changed. It's a new day of destiny. I thought this is what I was like as a person, but Lord, you're still working on me. And in the midst of that, which is very good, it's very holy, it's a work of the spirit, the enemy comes along and he tries to whisper. He tries to get us to question our identity, question our purpose. 
and he tries to get us to go back to Egypt, go back to the way that it was. The onions were good there. The leeks were good there. The garlic was good there. And in their hearts, they were despising. The Israelites were the promise and the deliverance because it was uncomfortable and what they had known was familiar and they wanted to be there. I prophesy to you that there is a new day dawning and even though it's uncomfortable to walk into the new, uh, if we obey the Lord, it is a Canaan land we will get to. But there may be some enemies we've got to fight on the way. There may be some obstacles we've got to overcome. Some of them are internal. The kingdom always comes into us. It's his dominion his rule working inside of me, that's painful, and then it manifests outside of me to the world around me. My heart over the last year, which has been easily the most significant year of change personally and for us as a ministry, my heart has been, Lord, I love you. I will do whatever you ask. I am not gonna hold on to the comfort of the familiar. I will not make decisions based only on the pragmatic I wanna be prophetic, not pragmatic. I wanna hear the voice of the Spirit and flow with Him. You know, the Lord spoke to me in January this year very clearly and gave me five words. I saw them in a picture in my mind's eye when we were in a season of prayer. I saw the word stop, underneath it the word reset, underneath that the word recalibrate, underneath that the word release, and then finally the word run. I don't have time to give you all five words and this is just by means of introduction before I get into the meat of today. But I felt the Lord saying 2020 and even into 21 has been a divine stop. It was a hard, sudden stop to our activities, to businesses, airplanes stopped flying for a few months, uh, Hollywood stopped, restaurants were shut, hotels were shut. The church as we knew it, our buildings and our programs were stopped. In the midst of it, this was divinely designed to get our attention. The Father wanted us to pay attention to what He was saying. He wanted us to hear the Spirit. 16 times in the New Testament, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And April, May, June, 2020, lots of people asking, what is God doing? What is God saying? Uh, and then the moment they could go back to what they knew a little bit, it was like, let's forget what God is saying and let's just get pragmatic and do what needs to be done but we've got to cease our going back to the familiar long enough, stop long enough to be able to fully hear what God is saying to us. I believe one of the things that the Lord wanted to do, the church has been very sleepy. Some of the church has been very materialistic. Some of the church has had idolatry in the church, loving other things more than they love the Lord. And the Lord has been coming in and saying, I want to get your attention. I want you to hear me. Stop everything. Pay attention to me. Secondly, the word reset I felt that the Lord was saying, I'm gonna reset the way that you've known things. I was thinking about my phone when it, when it was glitchy one time, took it into the shop and they said, you need to do a hard reset on your phone. And when you do a hard reset, it takes it back to manufacturer settings. It wipes all data, it wipes all personal preferences and it takes you back to the creator's way. The Lord is resetting his church. 
He's saying, let me take you back to the New Testament. Let me take you back to the book of Acts. Let me wipe away your personal preferences and show you how I intended for you to be a disciple of mine. Let me show you what it means to live with an eternal perspective. Let me show you what it means to be radically obedient to me. I believe that the Lord is inviting us into a far bigger storyline. For many Christians, their story is too small. It's parochial, it's self-centered, it is time-bound, it only thinks 30, 40, 50 years. And the Lord is saying in the midst of a stop and a reset, let me lift your eyes up higher and let me show you a bigger story, his story, an eternal story, a story that our small stories fit into a far grander picture than our own. So in the stop, in the reset, in this new day of destiny, the heavenly father, is wanting us to capture and see something brand new. I know to me, the Lord spoke last year very clearly as a church leader. And he said to me, he said, your ministry has been too personality driven, too platform oriented, too Sunday centric and too consumer focused. For most people that I know, Christianity was around who's the preacher on the platform, what building are they going to, um, Sundays was the day that was the day that we express our Christianity and for church leaders and ministers it was about getting ready to make sure everybody coming in is going to be pleased with what we do on that day and I felt the Lord saying it's time to let my people grow there's a new day coming and I'm going to change your understanding of how I operate on the earth and it really has been a, an absolute year of change I believe that there's new wineskins being formed right now. And eventually there'll be new wine poured into the new wineskin. Many of us are crying out for new wine. Move, Lord. Bring your presence, God. We want revival. And he's hearing our prayer and he's saying, well, the new wine can only be poured into new wineskins. That's the prophetic process. We've got to change some things so that when the wine is poured in, it isn't an old, inflexible structure that cracks and breaks with the new. Instead, we say yes to a new wineskin and we long for the outpouring of the Spirit. As we do that, we become a people permeated by the presence of Jesus. We become a people that are positioned by the prophetic and we become a people that are pulsating with Jesus' power. I believe that those three statements are really powerful. Permeated by the presence of Jesus, positioned by the prophetic voice of the Lord and pulsating with God's power. No longer making just decisions that, oh, that would be good for me. That would be good for my business. That would work well for my family. But actually saying, I will do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. I'm not going to be pragmatic. I'm not going to work to what's to my financial advantage or to my reputational advantage. I'm going to do what the Lord Jesus calls me to do, even if it looks foolish to other people. Are there such radically obedient, surrendered disciples out there? I do believe that the need, the crying need of our nation right now is a transforming revival a genuine Holy Spirit, God-given, heaven-ordained, transforming revival. We haven't seen them for many years, many decades, even centuries. I think of 1700s and John Wesley, revival fires broke out all over the UK. 
I think about Booth, William Booth, in the early 1900s with the Salvation Army. And, and again, all over the UK, 55 other nations during his lifetime set ablaze in a genuine revival in both of those. And we're saying, God, we need you to do that again. And nation's gone crazy. We call right, wrong, wrong, right. We're rejecting your values. Psalm 2, the nations rage against the king. And yet in the midst of it, the father laughs and scoffs at them raging and his will will be established. And the way it will come will be a genuine Holy Spirit revival, which will result in harvest that's coming. So I, I would love to push into any one of those subjects. I say all of that just to simply agree with you. It is a new day of destiny. There is shaking and uncertainty right now. Be careful that you don't allow the enemy to set you off course. Keep listening to the Spirit, stay rooted in God's Word, and make sure that you are planted in community, in a local church, and then hold steady. And you will come out the other end as you hold steady. We're in a birthing canal into the new day of destiny. We hold steady into the fullness of what God has for us. My application is really simple today. I wanna to take you for the remainder of this message and I wanna to speak to you about apostolic birthing prayer. A few years ago, the Lord spoke to me about this and I think it's more appropriate now than ever before. And I began to realize that whenever God moves on the earth, preceding him moving is always a season of travailing, prevailing prayer. He raises people up who will learn to cry out to him, often day and night, night and day, sometimes in small groups, sometimes slightly larger groups. But what the Father is doing, He has a plan, He has a purpose. He shares His hearts with those who fear Him. They catch a hold of His purposes and they begin to pray. And they lay a hold of what the Father has shown them in a way of birthing prayer, travailing prayer. I call it apostolic prayer. It's gonna take us into a new era. And then as they pray through into that, they start to see the manifestation of their prayers working into the realm where they live. I believe we're contending for the fullness of God, fullness of all that he has into our lives. We're contending for the fullness of New Testament theology as we read it. We're contending for New Testament lifestyle. We want that same glory of God manifest into our lives. And we're contending for New Testament power don't settle for what we have, reach for the fullness. There is more. 1 Corinthians 2 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit, and the Spirit searches out the deep things of God. We don't come up with it ourselves. We can't imagine it, we can't see it, but as the Spirit of God lives in us and we live in union with the Spirit, we become one with Jesus. We have access to the Father. We begin by the Spirit to see His purpose, His kingdom, His will, and we see it, and then as we see it, we begin to pray. Psalm 24, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And then it says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Verse seven, oh, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
And the Lord is calling us, lift up your heads. See what I am seeing. One of our favorite prayers here is, Lord, help me to see what you see and help me to feel the way that you feel. Yesterday I was praying and I felt the Lord saying, give me your eyes, give me your ears and give me your heart. Eyes so we see what he is seeing, ears that we only hear what he is saying, hearts that meditate and chew on. In the incubator on the inside, we learn to dream with God. In the midst of anxiety everywhere else, in the midst of a new day and transition, I'm going to give my eyes to the Lord. I'm going to give my ears uh, to the Lord and I'm going to meditate on what he says. I'm not going to listen to uh, the naysayers. I'm not going to listen to cowards. I'm not going to listen to those who would say, let's go back to Egypt. No, I'm going to have my eyes on the Lord. I'm going to have my ears listening to what he is saying. And I'm going to allow my heart to be filled with his word. Saying that, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. He comes in and then he will manifest himself through us to the world around us. Beautiful, beautiful picture in Psalm 24. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. We are living in unprecedented times. The Holy Spirit has begun moving on the earth in a way that very few people have ever known him to move. If you would have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is surrendered, these are the moments you were born for. This is what you were created for, a new day of destiny. In the midst of shaking, in the midst of turmoil, a thousand people have a thousand opinions, but the Lord's will will be established and done. Don't give ears to human thinking. Do you remember when um, Peter in Matthew 16, one moment he says, you are the son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus says to him, this was revealed to you by my father. A few verses later, Jesus tells his disciples he's going to be going to the cross and he's going to die. And Peter rebukes him and says, that's not a faith statement. You can't die. You won't go there. And Jesus looks straight at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind the things of man. You're looking to human origin, human thinking, human comfort. You're going to the familiar. You're thinking, I can't live without Jesus. And yet you don't know the story's bigger than this. And whenever we resolve to think just humanly, It has its roots in the demonic. That's why Jesus could say, get behind me, Satan. In fact, some of us would say, well, Peter was only speaking careful things and good things to Jesus because he cared for him. No, he was trying to take Jesus, deviate him off the course. Jesus himself in that time was birthing a new day of destiny where the spirit of God would come and live inside every single human. But the way to it was his death and his resurrection, had to sacrifice his own life. But Peter couldn't see it in the moment. I want to say just a warning, don't resolve to think humanly, pragmatically. We are positioned by the prophetic, by the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Trust those that God has given charge to, to lead uh, the church and to bring the word of the Lord. There is, my wife said this to me the other day, there is coming a great divide, I think, in the church. Those who will follow the ways of the Lord into the new And those who will dig their heels in and say, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to stay here. We're not going to embrace the new day of destiny because it means too much. It costs too much. It changes too much. 
in the midst of it, God's call to you and God's call to me is to lift up our heads and begin to pray. Become a people that are praying, travailing, prevailing people in the place of prayer. Uh, That's an old way of speaking. Some of it may be familiar to you. In the old days, they used to speak about George Muller, Smith Wigglesworth, you know, 40 years ago even. They would speak about praying through. You got a hold of a subject. God's revealed his will and you get hold of it and you don't let go in the place of prayer until you know on the inside you are done. It is finished. This will now work. And sometimes that burden for prayer can last for weeks or months. Sometimes that burden for prayer will last a few hours and you'll know it's done. Uh, Many Christians don't know how to pray through. The Lord is calling us in apostolic birthing prayer to be a people that will take a hold of something till the deliverance manifests, till the transition is complete, until we move up to the next level, until breakthrough comes, until we become an apostolic movement or an apostolic people. There are many examples of this in scripture. You can see it, uh, Enoch, uh, in uh, 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 well, he's in chapter five of Genesis, but the last verse in chapter four of Genesis simply says, verse 26, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. It's almost like a throwaway comment at the end of Genesis four in amongst all the sin, all the fall, the murder between two brothers, people have gone away from the Lord. And then it says, and men began to call on the name of the Lord again. And then Enoch is born in Genesis 5, I believe in answer to prayer. People called on the Lord. Enoch is born who walked with God. Genesis 22 to 24 tells us that he walked with God steadfastly. He stayed steady in the fullness of what God had called him to. Some translations say he walked habitually with the Lord, unbroken fellowship. In fact, his life was such an example that the Lord took him home and he didn't even die a natural death. And Jude quotes his words where it says in verse 14, and Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied, I see the Lord coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. What am I saying? to you. I'm saying in Genesis 4, people began to call on the Lord. Genesis 5, Enoch is born, one who walks with the Lord and becomes a prototype of a coming generation in answer to prayer. And then Enoch prophesies and Jude records it. There's a whole generation like me coming who will walk in continuous abiding fellowship with the Father. I love it. It's a, how did that happen? How was Enoch born? He was born because of prayer. I think of Moses. You can read this in Exodus 3 and you read the story. The Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. They've been mistreated. Their children have been killed. And then it says that the Lord says to Moses, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. So the prayers of these people came up before the Lord And God's answer was to give birth to a Moses who would become a deliverer. And they went through the greatest uh, deliverance of any nation out of any captivity, I think, in history. More than uh, a million and a half to two million people without any battle being fought. The Lord fought on their behalf through all of those plagues and they came out. The deliverer was born in response to prayer. The transition happened because of praying. 
Prayer always precedes transition. Fast forward all the way to the New Testament. There's a lady called Anna in Luke chapter two. And it says she was only married for seven years and then she became a widow. And then when we meet her, she's 84 years old. So something like 61 or 62 years have passed. In, in the day back then, young girls would have been married at 13 or 14 years old, uh, married seven years, her husband died. So she was probably 20 or 21. And the Bible says when, when her husband died, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And then when Jesus comes into the temple, she's now 84 years old, 60 years of faithful praying, of travailing, night and day with fasting. What was she doing? The Lord had raised her up to become a person that was gonna be the prayer warrior, helping birth the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And eight days old, Jesus comes into that temple with his parents holding him, and she basically comes up to them, gives thanks to God and spoke of the child that all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She knew by the spirit who he was, what had been done and her life's work was complete. It's so powerful when we realize that prayer precedes the transition into a new era, into a new day. And we've got to stay there in that place of prayer. Jesus' own life was marked by this. He started his ministry with 40 days of prayer. It was a, a new covenant was beginning. A new era on the earth was coming. He only had three and a half years of ministry and he starts the first season by going into 40 days of prayer and fasting led by the Spirit, Luke 4 says, into the wilderness. Started to pray, started to come before the Father and launched him into his ministry. And you could look through it and see that um, he prayed uh, all the way through a night, for a whole night before he picked his apostles. He prayed before he broke bread. Uh, he prayed before he fed the 5,000. That again and again it would say, Jesus turned the crowd away and he went off to a desolate place, place to pray. Mark 135, it's in Luke's gospel. Um, he prayed in Gethsemane um, before the cross. I, I could give you so much examples, but we don't have time. Jesus' life was marked with prayer as an example for us that we should pray. He was birthing something new. The day that was coming for the cross and where the spirit of God could live inside of humans, it hadn't happened up until that time. And yet because of what he was birthing and what he was about to do, we were about to enter into a new era, an era in which the spirit of God would live in humans, but it was preceded by a life of prayer. Some ministers today would think if I have three and a half years, I better get very busy, preach more sermons, travel more, meet more people. Jesus realized it was all rooted by being with the father. The Lord is calling us back into the secret place into a place of travailing prayer, prevailing prayer, where we hold on and will not let go. And the Holy Spirit will help us. It's not in our own effort that we will do this. I could give you many more examples how the disciples prayed for 10 days before the birth of the church, how Cornelius, this Italian uh, soldier, was praying faithfully to a God he didn't even know. And as he's praying, it births the open door to the Gentiles. God chooses him as the one, as the key to unlock the way for the Gentiles. Prayer unites us with the purposes of God and then secures those purposes for us. That's from Ian Bounds. 
It influences, prayer influences God greatly. I wish I had time to tell you about the Azusa Street Revival preceded by prayer. William J. Seymour in LA for years, two, three years, had been praying four or five hours a day asking for revival, working as a waiter, bivocational as a pastor, learning and studying, and he was praying four or five hours a day. And the Lord said to him, you need to pray more. And he increased it by two hours while working, while studying, while leading a congregation. And I'm thinking, Lord, what kind of prayer is needed for this coming reformation and revival that's gonna be birthed on the earth? The church has been covered in a Laodicean spirit, running after the same pursuits as much of the world. And the Lord is resetting, stopping, causing us to come into a place of recalibration. Prayer will bring clarity, it gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it brings divine assistance, it makes us unshakable, gives us a confidence in God, nothing else will give us, pushes back the darkness, brings us spiritual ease, it's the oil of the spirit flowing through all the work that we do, it strengthens our inner man, our mind, our will and our emotions, it changes things in the spirit realm to start manifesting the kingdom of God upon the earth. It's the only way to build spiritually what the Lord is wanting to do. And it births the purposes of God, not just in our own lives, but in cities and regions, even in whole nations. Very, very quickly, we're gonna pray straight after this. I'll just give you four things. And these are really taken from the story in 1 Kings 18, but we don't have time to read it. It's uh, uh, the story of Elijah. And I'll just, you can read it and find it there yourself. But I would just say, make a commitment to pray today. Make a commitment to pray. Change up your schedule. Give an hour, give two hours. Start with 30 minutes, wherever you are, but make a commitment to prayer. Secondly, when you pray, pray with boldness. I pray with an open Bible and I know when I pray what God is asking me to pray and it's his will, I can decree it with boldness. I can go to the, the gates of heaven with boldness and confidence, approach him because it's his word. I, I nearly all the time pray with an open Bible, praying the scriptures back to God. Prayer isn't just what I want, it's union with the Father to know who he is and what he is doing and then making his purposes to manifest by coming into agreement with him. Successful prayer is knowing the will of God and then joining God in his purposes to see them manifest on the earth. So make a commitment to prayer, pray with boldness and then thirdly, pray with perseverance. You stay in that place until a full manifestation of what God wants. You pray earnestly, as Colossians 4.2 says, and praying always, as Ephesians 6.18 says. I believe that the Lord's raising up people who are not just having a quick, quiet time on the way out or just 20 minutes here, but they have seasons in prayer and they know how to take a hold of the purpose of God. Uh, I, I'm not against praying for our own needs. I think there's a legitimate place to bring our needs before the Lord, even the Lord's prayer teaches us that. But I believe as we grow, we have to go beyond just what we need and praying in the purpose of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God. It, it's the invitation to the bigger story than just our lives. And then fourthly and lastly, pray in faith. Expect what you are praying for to come to pass, that the Lord hears you, you are accepted by him, you are one of his. I'm having a revelation that as I live in union with the Lord, washed in the blood of Jesus, seeking to obey him wholeheartedly, ordering my life to the way he wants me to live. In that place, 
His words in my mouth are as powerful as his words in his mouth. As I speak when I'm one with him, those words can be decreed and they'll change situations. Not double-minded people can't do that. People embracing sin on this side and then wanting to make declaration won't have that authority. But as you have proximity with the king, your authority grows. It's the way it's always meant to be. You grow in authority, not by how loud you shout, not by even how much Bible you know, but by how close you walk with the king. And then you can pray in faith in that moment. We're going to pray. You're in the midst of a conference, 21 days uh, uh, over the whole time. And here we are uh, uh, coming before the Lord and asking him, to help us and I want to pray a few things so if you've been making notes you can put your Bible down put your notepad down just posture your heart before the Lord in the place of prayer and I want to ask you uh, firstly just to pray with me you know Jesus said in Matthew 21 13 my house will be called a house of prayer every one of us individually are a house with it we're a temple of the Holy Spirit he says his temple his house will be called a house of prayer so why not just lift your hands where you are and say, Lord, I want to be a faithful house of prayer. Would you help me to be a house of prayer for you? You just pray that, bring it before the Lord. And Lord, you see as people are setting their hearts before you, they're looking to you. I pray that you would help them to really become powerful people. Like Psalm 24 says, such is the generation of those who seek your face, O God. You encourage us to lift up our heads, O oh, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The real power is, is the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit begins to pray out of you, but it comes in a place of surrender and commitment that says, I want to be a house of prayer. No duplicity, no mixture in our lives. Uh, he wants to own our words and he wants to own our ears and he wants to own our thoughts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that that would be our prayer for each of us today in Jesus' precious name. And Father, I pray that you grant grace to everybody who is asking you to give them a fresh and renewed commitment to prevailing prayer. I pray that they would know a grace from the Spirit to help them to do that. It's not in our own strength. The Spirit helps us. Thank you that you are our comforter, our teacher, our enabler. You're our advocate. You come and speak on our behalf. You are empowering us when we don't know what to, what to say. When our words in our own mother tongue run out, I thank you that you give us an utterance of tongues that takes us to pray in the Spirit and begin to declare the mysteries of God and the perfect will of God to be prayed and pray for an unlocking of new levels of prayer, new ways of engaging with you. And whether it's in the early morning hours, the late night hours, or in the middle of a night, or in a lunch break that you call us aside, I pray that you would find us to be a people who are willing, 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 willing to move with you. In Jesus' name. The second piece I want to pray for us, and obviously you can take that and pray it later yourself for a greater amount of time. But Isaiah 11 and verse 2 talks about the seven spirits of God. 
the seven attributes of the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God, or the seven fires burning before him that Revelation talks about. All of these seven were on Jesus. Isaiah 11 and verse 2 is a prophecy about Jesus, but because we are given the same Holy Spirit, we can ask for all seven to be upon us as well. There is no way to live in the days in which we're alive today without the Holy Spirit helping us. And we mustn't be people who just possess the Spirit. We must be possessed by the Spirit. There's two sides to the baptism of the Spirit. One is, yes, we receive baptism and the Holy Spirit comes in and we possess Him now. He's ours. But the second part that many never get to is that we allow Him to have possession of us. We live a surrendered life. And only as we do that can we walk in these seven attributes to their fullness. Listen to what they are. It's the Spirit of the Lord, the eternal God, the uncreated, self-existent one. So Father, I pray that you give us revelation that the very Spirit of God dwells in us. The very Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of the Lord, the, God, the Lord who has no beginning and no end. He's self-existent. Nobody created him. He's, he's a, he has no beginning and no end and it's powerful. And now he comes and lives in us. This is the mystery that Paul says was hidden for ages past. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I pray for a revelation that the living, holy God is inside of us, living within us. I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom today. I pray for wisdom for all those watching a divine heavenly wisdom, the ability to know how to do, what to do, what decisions to make. Uh, the Passion Translation calls it extraordinary wisdom. I would say it's divine wisdom. It's not based on academics and it's not based on how, what study you've done. It's, it's by the Spirit that you have this wisdom. And I pray a release of the Spirit of wisdom over you today. Ask for it. Ask for it over your family, over your marriage, over your singleness as you look towards getting married, over your business, over your desire to serve the Lord, how to manage diary and work and family and serving the Lord. Divine wisdom be imparted to you as you embrace the new day of destiny and the Lord reorders things. I pray that you would have the spirit of understanding, the ability to comprehend perfect understanding, perfect comprehension, no confusion in your life, but that you would have a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of understanding, understanding relationships, understanding the ways of the Lord, understanding the will of the Lord, understanding why certain things are working certain ways. By the Holy Spirit today, I pray that you would know the spirit of understanding. I pray that you would have the spirit of counsel wise strategy, that you would have counsel that is heavenly, not only for yourself, but that you'll become a counselor to others, not based on human interpretation, but a divine way of perceiving a situation. Father, I pray for a release and manifestation as people walk with you who are watching this today of the spirit of counsel, a wise strategy. I pray for the spirit of knowledge to be yours, 
supernatural knowledge. I sometimes lay hands on my own head as I'm praying these scriptures and I say, Lord, give me a retentive mind. Help me remember the things I've learned. Help me know things I've never learned but are revealed to me by the Spirit. Words of knowledge, words of the ability to know things about situations that nobody has revealed but the Spirit of God. I pray that you would walk in a greater manifestation of the spirit of knowledge. And lastly, I pray that you would know the fear of the Lord. Knowledge puffs up and so we walk in the fear of the Lord. We walk gently before the Lord. We walk in awe of him. We walk in the fear of the Lord so we walk meekly. We walk with humility. Humility is going to be one of the greatest hallmarks of the coming generation. They'll have the greatest authority. They'll walk in tremendous power. They will have articulation of speech and to be able to decree things. And yet they will be marked by true humility like Jesus was. They know who they are. They won't need to flaunt their power. You've read it in John 13. Jesus knew where he had come from. John 12, sorry. Jesus knew where he had come from, where he was going. He knew that all authority had been given to him. And he took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. When you know who you are, you know where you're going, you know what authority is yours, you can walk meekly before the world. Servanthood. So I pray that you would know a fear of the Lord, that you would have a revelation of who God is, and those revelations would strike your heart with a holy fear and reverence for him. Men and women are being raised in this day who will walk in the reverence of God and they'll walk into schools and businesses. Young men and women walking into a playground and the fear of the Lord will be on them. And as soon as they walk close to others, others will sense eternal issues ever so near. There won't be a frivolousness about them. There'll be a soberness and yet there'll be a gentleness and there'll be an attractiveness in the fear of the Lord. So I pray that you would experience the fear of the Lord. And to cover all of these things, Father, I pray over the next few days, this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting, of encounter with you, a season where they are seeking to pursue you with a whole heart as they embrace the new day of destiny. Lord, I pray for an increase of dreams, visions, encounters of the heavenly kind. I pray that the scriptures would become like a fire in people's lives that the scriptures would come alive in a way that they've never known them to. And just like in Luke 24, you breathed upon your disciples and opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. I pray right now that you would breathe on the hearts and minds of all those watching today and that they would have revelation of things that they didn't see before, seeing connections of the big story that the Father has written and what part they are to play, a revelation of the union that they are called to in Christ, a revelation of what it means to be a disciple, a revelation of authority coming by proximity to the King. And I pray that there'd be a joy welling up in their hearts. As well as encounter, I pray for joy to be yours. A supernatural, divine joy to come to you. Not weariness, not anxiety, but the joy of the Lord will be your strength. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Obviously, you can continue to pray. You can take those scriptures and pray them. I also pray frequently through Ephesians 1, 17, 18, 19, spirit of wisdom and revelation and four things that Apostle Paul prays for there. I pray through Ephesians 3, um, 16 onwards, that out of his divine riches, he would strengthen me in the inner man. This is, this is like 20 plus apostolic prayers to pray but you pray them and you start to pray God's word and it will manifest you to become a child of God. Like in Revelation 8, it talks, Romans 8, it talks about the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God being revealed on the earth. We are in those days right now. It's been an absolute delight to be able to share God's word with you and spend a few moments praying for you. And uh, you'll continue to be in my prayers. And I pray that you'll know God's rich grace as you embrace this new day of destiny.